Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Jonah here. Just wanted to give you a warning about the episode you're going to listen to. Um, just about everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong on the day that we were recording this. Uh, first of all, Bailey had to drop out of doing the series. I know she never actually ended up being in any of the episodes, but she had too much going on already. Um, I haven't heard from Steven in a month as of recording this. He also has not been in any episodes. He missed the first Quiet Year episode after telling us that he was having car troubles and then never replied to any messages ever again. Um, and who else? Michael, uh, also had some issues showing up to the character creation episode and that you're about to listen to, so he... I had made that mandatory for anyone who wanted to be in the podcast series, like nothing, nothing really mattered up until that point or after that point. This was the one episode that everyone who was going to be there needed to be there for. So maybe Michael will be in another series in the future. I've already messaged him about that. Um, maybe uh, simultaneous with Urban Shadows, maybe joining us after we're done playing Urban Shadows, or just whenever. Erin's um, internet in her apartment went out, so she had to go to her school campus in order to play, so she was on push to talk so that we didn't have a bunch of other people in the background all the time. Um, and then, while we were recording about an hour or an hour and a half into the recording session, we realized uh, I got a notification that I needed to clear up storage space and looked back at what we had recorded. And I'd actually just recorded like two 20 minute chunks that were not continuous um, of, of what we had. And uh, so... I, throughout this episode, as you're listening to it, I'll play, like, a bit of the audio, uh, like, whatever 20-minute chunk we got, and then I'll do a part where I explain what you missed in that bit. I was very frustrated by this whole event, and then after that, we had a bit of time where Aaron and Rebecca could not be heard. Their voice was not being transmitted through Discord for a while, and then Andrew was later victimized by the same thing. They could still hear us. This was just a thing that spontaneously happened. And, uh... So, yeah. This is a frustrating episode. I'll do my best to make it flow well. Here's the first bit that we got for you. I was gonna say something. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, in our other Urban Shadows game, apparently the the leaders of the fake parts are named after League of Legends characters, because that's what's happening. Wait, what? <laughs> Jonah? Yeah, because char characters in that game are fine and good, and uh, I don't have a podcast to be like, hey, that's a League of Legends character. So, <laughs> so you yes. just did it? In, so in our other got, game, um, the... Ivern. Yeah, Ivern is the King of Spring, and Lissandra is the Duchess of Winter. Is Emzitana a League of Legends character? No, Emzitana is just a random syllable thing. 
All right, Michael said last Thursday at 10.42 a.m. I'm good for Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to start now. Yes, Rick? We're going to start now. Uh, e, right. I know I'm kind of weak. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the character creation episode for Fontaine. We're making characters for Urban Shadows, which is, quote, an urban fantasy story game, end quote, by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz Truman. My name is Jonah. You can find me on Twitter at aspiring underscore protag or on YouTube at aspiring protagonist. The players I currently have here are Rebecca. Hi. Aaron. Hey, I'm on Push to Talk, so this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And Andrew. I'm not on Push to Talk. How's it going? <laughs> uh, I don't believe that Stephen or Bailey will be joining us tonight, and Michael said he would, but isn't here and is 11 minutes late now, so we're starting and just hoping that he's going to join in. Otherwise, I don't know if... Okay, anyway... I will be serving as the MC for this game. My goals are to make the city feel political and dark, to keep the characters' lives out of control and evolving, and to play to find out what happens. Before we get into progress, I wanted to talk a little bit about how the game works, both for our benefit and the listeners. Uh, and I'm trying to space these out across episodes so that I don't open up an, any episode with like, all right, here's half an hour of info dump. Um, so it's important to note that this is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, and it borrows a lot of ideas straight out of Apocalypse World, which was the original game that this system was designed for. First off, all of our roles, uh, even on... Roll tw I don't know why I wrote it like that. Uh, all of our rolls are going to always use 2d6, and then they'll just add your bonuses and any relevant stat to that roll. That will never change. Anytime you roll for anything, it'll be 2d6. In this system, anything that is a 6 or lower is called a miss, which doesn't necessarily fail... It doesn't necessarily mean you failed to do the thing, but I'll get to that later. Uh, a 7 or higher is called a hit, uh, where a 7 to 9 is a weak hit, and a 10 or higher is a strong hit, and these are all representative of narrative explanations. In this game, it's just a conversation where you tell us what your character is doing, and whenever there's a situation that, like, would be like, oh, can something interesting happen here or go wrong here, then that's a situation that you would roll for, and there's, like, a list of moves, like unleashing an attack, trying to persuade an NPC, but you don't say, I want to persuade the NPC, you just describe your character persuading them, and at a certain point we go, alright, I think it's time to do a roll. Um, on the flip side, I, am, I, as the MC, will never roll dice for any reason. My role is as a prescriptive and descriptive narrator. I have basically these moves of my own that don't necessarily have any mechanical effects, though with the way this game is designed, narrative is mechanical. Um, but basically, I have a list of MC moves, city moves, which I was designing based off of our play of the quiet year that represent like how the city behaves. 
uh, faction moves that represent the behaviors of the four different factions in the game, etc., etc. Um, so I don't roll for things, I just have a guide of things that I can do and when to do them. Um, so there's like a difference between a soft move and a hard move. A soft move would be setting something up, uh, which is what I'll normally use. Like, you heard rumors that your old master has enemies in the city and they're looking for him. That's a soft move, something that says, oh, there's danger here, but it hasn't done anything yet. A hard move is something like, there's a knock at the door, but when you open it, you only find your master's head bleeding in the hallway which is a move that creates a narrative change that can't be easily reversed. Like, it's done. Um, so most of the time I'll be using soft moves because that's how the game sort of works. Like, the MC sets up a soft move and the players tell the MC how they react to it. And depending on the results of their actions, the soft move either becomes a hard move or the players avert it or so on and so on. Um... I'll never tell you what the name of the move is. It will just look like I'm describing something that's happening, but I want you to know that it works like that. Um, and I'll, I'll explain more in other episodes, but for now, we can get into the character creation of all this. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the process that we're going to go through here. I'm just going to explain the first bit, really, and once I get to the intro questions, I'll start actually asking you guys about the decisions you've made so far about the characters. So the first thing that... I guess you guys were sort of doing this before we jumped into the recording, so I'm speaking more to the listeners right now. The first thing that you're going to do is pick the archetype, and at this point everyone here has already chosen their archetype. Then you've got your name, your look, and demeanor. And I care more about the demeanor than the other things because that has to do with your attitude or how you come across the people. So everyone should be thinking about what that actually looks like. What, what behavior or appearances lends your character the demeanor you've picked. Um, then it gives your character stats and your starting factions. There are four character stats, all right? Blood is a measure of your fight-or-flight instinct. It tells us how tough, dangerous, coiled, and quick to act your character is in a dangerous situation. Heart is the sum of your passion, charm, and charisma. It tells us how proficient your character is at getting what they want through negotiation and discussion. Mind is a reflection of your character's critical thinking, trickery, and observational skills. It tells us how perceptive your character can be and how good they are at manipulating others with deceit. And spirit gauges your character's connection to the other and your force of will. It tells us how focused and undertale, I mean determined, your character uh -huh. is uh, under pressure and what kind of connection they have to the supernatural. There are also four factions that you'll have stats in. Mortality are normal humans with no supernatural abilities. Most people are in this faction because, you know, the wide variety of people are humans who don't know that supernatural things exist. Um, knight are, as described in the book, they are those who are once human but have been irrevocably changed into something dark and unnatural. 
uh, Tainted isn't in Night for some reason, even though they were human, but I guess they're more influenced by demons. I guess it's because they work for demons that they're in the wild faction. Um, so the power, the power faction are humans who are aware, not aware of the supernatural, but are part of the supernatural, who have magic or, or prophetic powers or any other number of blessings or curses. And the wild faction are the otherworldly beings and the strange people and demonic creatures that originate from outside our world. Um, so the playbook for each archetype gives certain scores for all of these, and then in each category, uh, whether the character stats or the factions, you get to choose one stat and one faction to increase by one. Uh, note that all of the stats reflect your character's personality, not any physical attributes. There's no strength, dexterity, or constitution. There's just how much of a badass are you. Um, <laughs> so increasing a stat means affecting their personality, not their ability. Um, increasing a faction means you have better relations with that faction. Like, this is, this is a faction that you have friends in or, or are well-liked by for some reason. And then we'll get to the intro questions, which are a list of questions that are different for each archetype that uh, help to define what the character is. So... We're going to go down that bit with all of you and just get all of that information. So, um, I think we'll start with... I have. I think I have you all written down in turn order for the quiet year. So, uh, Rebecca, do you want to give yeah. us a general overview about the archetype you're playing and whether you've decided on a name yet, maybe why you picked that archetype? Yeah, sure. So I chose to do um, the Fae archetype. Um, I decided to... I actually did choose a name. I chose Sheshin, uh Cassidy Todd. Sheshin. Um, did you write that I, in the Discord at some point? To have I did, yes. I did. Uh, um, I'll, I'll put it back in there. There it is. Found it. Yeah. Sheshin Cassidy Todd. Uh, and I decided on Faye because... I really liked the idea of trying something different. So instead of doing the normal fae Gaelic, I decided to change it into um, a Japanese fae, uh, specifically a kitsune. Um, yeah, that's why I chose that. Okay. Uh, kitsune fae. Uh, do you have a fae court that you belong to, by the way? Uh, yeah, Court of the Moon. Right, that's right. You were talking about that before. Yes. Of the moon. All right. So, what does your character look like? In the, uh, you have so, some look section options, but I guess you, you don't have to refrain yourself, but from or oh, restrain yeah. no, yourself no, no. to I, that. I use the ones that are there. I chose okay. um, the look. I chose female, um, Asian, uh, just Asian. It says Asian or South Asian, but I chose Asian. And you could choose colorful clothing, expensive clothing, messy clothing, or revealing clothing. And I decided to go with colorful clothing. All right. Gotcha. All right. And what is your demeanor? Uh, so I could choose from alien, eccentric, feral, or seductive. And I decided to go with seductive. All right. What? 
how how does this come across with Seishin or Cassidy? Uh, Should we call her Cassidy Seishin. more? Huh? Should we call her Cassidy more or Seishin? She uses because of the difficulty in spelling her name. If she needs to like just give a quick note or something like that, she uses Cassidy. But if possible, she goes by Seishin. Okay. Um. In any case, uh, she uh. Sorry, what was the question again? How does how does your seductive uh, demeanor come across? It's really less that she's trying to be, and more that she's kind of got this very uh, aloof kind of just above it all thing, kind of like Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. Very pretty, mm-hmm. and just the fact that she's so above everything, that's the reason that people kind of are, who is that, kind of. I'm writing down lead cheerleader. <laughs> All right. Uh, where's your Where's your plus one going for your character stats? Uh, it is going into for one is plus one heart and the other one is plus one wild. Okay. Mm-hmm. Alright, so this is where the first block of recording cut out, and this was before we had realized that the first block of recording had cut out. Um, so after asking uh, Rebecca what Seishin's pluses were, we later uh, discussed how her plus one in heart represents how Seishin is a more compassionate or compelling person, like all of the stats represent personality. There are none that are physical characteristics. They all relate to how your character thinks and behaves rather than how strong or fast or whatever, or how good looking they are. It's all mental. Um, we, so the whole concept of Seishin is that she's a kitsune, fairy of the moon court, um, she is married to her husband, Noah Todd, who is a human unaware of the supernatural world. And she explained herself as being sort of like the opposite of a Selkie. If you've ever heard of a Selkie, I remember there, I had this book of kid stories, uh, a big, thick book of kid stories, um that had a bunch of the more obscure fairy tales and such in it. One of them was the Selkie, and Selkies were, like, seal-based mermaids. They weren't mermaids, I should say. They were, like, seals that could shed their skin and be humans. And at, like, night, they would shed their skin and go on shore and uh, just, just play and whatever. And there was this man who found the Selkies and stole one of their skins. And uh, the Selkie that it belonged to uh, had to stay on land because he had her skin. And so he, um, she married him because that's what you do as a fairy. Someone steals your skin, you now just marry them. Uh, ownership of people was a thing. Uh... Oh, um, 
and eventually he like feels sad for her after many years and after they have like a son who I guess is just a normal person he gives her seal skin back and she goes back into the sea um Seishin is the opposite of that Noah does not know who she is she has shed her kitsune fox mask which turns her into a fox back and forth I guess um and if Noah ever finds out that she's a fairy, then she will be, in that fairy sort of way, compelled to leave the way that Selkies are compa- compelled to stay. Um, so her, her whole thing is just keeping her identity a secret from her husband Noah. Um, so she has that Kitsune fox mask that functions as her Selkie skin. She has a Hoshi no Tama necklace of pearls that represents her ownership, or not ownership, membership of the Moon Court. Uh, she runs a swordsmithing shop, interesting enough, uh, called the Zenko's Blade. Um, and she, like, has to wear, uh, protective gloves even when just handling any swords that are made of cold iron because she's a fairy. Um... I think we cover the rest of this in debts, so I don't think I have to tell you any more about Seishin. Um, Jill's entry was a little less lucky in the amount of stuff that we were able to record. We only got, like, an 18-second segment, so here's that. Two in heart, but put a plus one in there to represent the fact that I'm trying to get to know humanity um, mm-hmm. and trying to become a more like empathetic thing um, and then I put into my factions my plus stat there is into power because of um, my connections to Eidolon and my connection um, yeah that's that's all we got for Jill in the first in the first segment. And what we did was there were two rounds of segments where we got, like, a base summary of the characters and then we went more in-depth into Det's gear and their abilities in the second segment. But that's all we got of the first one. Uh, so I basically have to tell you everything about Jill right now. Um, so Aaron is playing as Jill, who is... She's playing with the Vessel archetype, uh, which is every single resource they give in the Dark Streets uh, expansion just references Frankenstein. Like, okay, so they list Mary Shelley's, like, Prometheus Frankenstein as a book reference, and then they're like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in that episode where they made a Frankenstein, and... Uh, Penny Dreadful, Frankenstein, hmm, uh, uh, this other thing, Frankenstein, they were just Frankensteins in different, uh, editions of fiction, you know? So that's the basic concept of the vessel. Specifically, Jill is an Eidolon robot that has attained sentience. Um... Jill uh, has an ambiguous-looking gender, because uh, she's a robot. Even though she has the, like, skin to make her look more human, uh, Aaron wanted her to look ambiguous. Um, or them, I guess. 
she the skin, by the way, is uh, black African American. Um, you she's wearing rough clothing. Uh, so just like the the set of clothes that she was uncovered from the rubble with, or or whatever. So Aaron has her in like ripped jeans and a hoodie or whatever. Um, for her demeanor, Jill is a gentle person, and Aaron described this as how she waits for others to speak and she moves very slowly and gently. Um. And she's very fascinated by what humans have to say. Um, Jill lives in an abandoned house in the bayou near the drowned, the drowned portions of the city. She has an Eidolon logo engraved in her chest, if anyone ever gets to look at that. Uh, she has a sword. And the way that we sort of describe this, because the Eidolon robots had swords, is that being a robot, they don't really have need for exterior sheaths. So what I had imagined for the Eidolon robots is that their sheath is just their back. Like, there's a slot in their back that Jill can just insert her sword into, that she also covers up with her hoodie. Um, she's only been active for a few weeks by the time the next episode will start um, in, the, in game time. Uh, I don't think this might be in one of the future recording segments, but she said that her power is, her power source is somehow connected to the city of Fontaine, so she can't leave the city. Um, so with that said, I'm going to let you guys listen to the next segment, which is the last one that we had before we realized what was, what was going on. And I think this is probably the last... Well, I probably might have to do something for Kyle. Maybe? We'll see. Uh, we'll find out. Okay, so yeah. Uh, you're, you're just gonna miss a little bit of introduction into Kyle. Uh, summarizing what we said, he is playing the hunter archetype. Andrew is playing Kyle Germain, hunter archetype. Uh, son of Marshall Germain. Uh, for his looks, he chose that he'd be a lean, scrappy, uh, guy wearing dirty clothing. Uh, only Caucasian character in the party. And for his demeanor, he chose detached, represented by him being, like, a loner, sort of socially or emotionally lost, I guess. Um, but I think all the other information about Kyle makes it into the episode. Oh. So, uh, enjoy that. Okay. And in your factions, you start with one in mortality, one in night, zero in power, and negative one in wild. Which one of those do you get along better with? I'm going to get along with power. And you said zero in wild? Zero in power, negative one in wild. Negative one, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, I get along with power. Alright, so you have a one in power now? Yes. Okay. So I have one, 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 negative one. So for your, uh, no, not for Hunter. Hunter's the one that we're not doing gear first on. Uh, cause gear gets special for Hunter. Yes, so, I've, I've already looked at them, so don't mm -hmm. worry. 
lost. So we're going to do your intro questions first, though. Okay. And your prey questions. So first of all, who is Kyle Germain? Tell us a bit about him. Uh, Kyle Germain, um, a lot of who he is comes from his father. Um, his father was a hunter in a lot of the more turbulent, or turbulent um, if I can speak, uh, times within um, the city. And uh, he was essentially born here. His mother had left the city due to the danger. Um, and he was raised by his father to be a hunter. Um, in his surroundings, he never really wanted that burden pressed upon him. But his father is one of the best in the city. So even the community kind of pressed it on him. Um so that I guess that answers both right. um, questions. I, okay, or, so you've been in the city your whole life. Mm-hmm. And or actually, all three. Uh, um. And ra- raised by a father to become a hunter. Cool. Yes. The other two questions for the listeners were: How long have you been in the city, and how did you become a hunter? So, uh, now for the questions about your prey. What do you hunt primarily? Uh, this one's a little more unique. Um, primarily, I'm going after the uh, alleged Loch Ness monster. Yeah, um, that's been the, seen in whatever. the flooded district. Right. Um, and that actually comes in um, again to my father um, in the last years of his life. Um, as he was starting to get older, he became obsessed, and um, some would call him insane with the rumors of the Loch Ness monster and. Um, I suppose this would be um, reaching my adulthood years. He would be um, pressing in with me um, into the flooded, uh, remaining flooded areas to hunt this while others would, you know, treat it as a tourism district. He took every little bit seriously. Um, Regardless of the season, he would be out in the waters trying to see that glimpse that he always craved. All right. So, we're going to address some of uh one of the, how much you know about this creature. Uh have you discovered their strengths and weaknesses? Um, well, I suppose one of the strengths would be their elusiveness. Um just because it's been incredibly difficult to track. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a Loch Ness monster having a weakness. It's difficult because uh, I suppose fire would be a uh, rather strong weakness to the creature um, as it primarily lives in a cold and wet habitat. Okay. Cool. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what terrible thing have you done to yourself to help even the playing field? This um, ties, this kind of wraps my character up in a bow, I'd like to think. Um, I left my father. Um, there was one particular winter night where he was um, out, um, you know, as usual, uh, out in the, the wet, the the flooded air district going through, you know, ruins and just anywhere to search for this thing. Um, and he got in 
pretty far into an area um, that was submerged um, and I had gone out and after him and at a certain point we had reached an area that there was some air and the water was frigid and you know he was older probably in his uh, late 40s at this point um, but I, I begged him to turn back but he, he kept on and at that point I had become so frustrated um, with being a hunter and you know this mad chase for the Loch Ness Monster I swam back and I escaped myself however my father never returned and that guilt um, haunts me however it mm. allowed me to pursue being a hunter more than my father would have allowed at that point because you know he was a lot more narrow minded so I still hunt the Loch Ness Monster because it was his sort of dying goal ah wonderful daddy issues everyone <laughs> uh alright and last question, how are you like them? How are you like this monster in the water? I, I'm i elusive and detached just the same as the monster. It's not something that's seen often. Um, but it's still talked about, it's still referenced and mentioned as a you know, the son of a hunter who's long since passed you know, people still seek me out as they would seek out this monster. Alright, got that written down. Now we're going to address your gear. Your wonderful huntery gear. Yeah. So first, you get a shitty apartment uh, and you get to choose between a pickup truck or muscle car. I'm gonna get a muscle car. Thinking kind of and like... you get a cell phone. Alright, cool. And then you get three custom weapons. Okay, uh, for actually, those listening at home, there are a set of like weapon options, either ranged weapons or hand weapons, and that Andrew gets to modify each of the weapons with uh, two modifications, and he gets three of these. It's it's pretty cool, honestly. Alright, so what have you got? Alright, I have my father's rifle, um, which is equipped with a silencer, um, so it's minus loud, and it's high-powered. So, essentially, if I'm doing this right, it would be three harm, zero loud. Right. Okay. Cool. You've given yourself a sniper rifle, but it's totally for big game hunting. <laughs> I mean, I'm hunting a long, I'm hunting a Loch Ness monster. I don't think it'd be something particularly small. All right, what else you got? I have a pistol um, with that's semi-automatic, so it's minus reload. Um, and then I have oh my god, what the hell did I do? Um, I believe it was silvered, so plus silver. Silvered pistol. Alright, does that mean that you fire silver bullets with it? 
I would assume so. That's okay. what my um, thought was. So it would be too harm close and loud. Um, Why is that an option for ranged weapons? That's just confusing. Like, like make silver bullets a separate thing, game. I'm not sure. But alright. And, and lastly, I have a chain, which is a one-harm handed area weapon, um, and I have it blessed, so it's plus holy, and I have it hidden, so it's concealable. Well, I don't think Michael will be joining us, so I guess this series is just gonna be the three of you guys. Yay! Yay. Yeah, he messaged the Discord, I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, what? Right. He messaged the Discord, but he messaged it to say, like, he's not gonna, that he can't come. Yeah, he's not yeah, gonna yeah. be here. Uh, circling back around to Rebecca, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me let me flip back to the Fay in my book, and we're going to address. First of all, I want to just tell everybody the the drama moves for the Fay. Um, which are pretty good indicators of how this game thinks the Fey will be played. So the corruption move is when you break a promise or tell an outright lie, mark corruption. And the thing with corruption in this game is like, it's a representative of your character gradually turning to the dark side. This city is a shitty place and you're fighting to make it better but corruption is representative of you basically giving up and just becoming a shitty person to deal with all the shit so you're over time corruption can make you stronger it's like a separate experience meter so you can take corruption moves which make you which give you more power but if you take too much corruption the last corruption advance well you could take it as your first corruption advance but eventually you'll have to retire your character and they may return as a threat which basically means that your character belongs to me now they're an NPC that I can use for whatever evil I want so the fey corruption Yay. move when you break a promise or tell an outright lie it's not that fey are incapable of doing so but doing so defies their fey nature and corrupts them. Uh, the other drama move, the intimacy move, is when you share a moment of intimacy, physical or emotional, with another person, you get to demand a promise from them. If they refuse or break that promise ever, they owe you two debts. And debts are very important to Faye, not only just in the normal use of debts, but they fuel your magical powers. Um, so... Seishin. Mm-hmm. You, someone broke an important promise to you, and they swore they would make it up to you. They owe you two debts. And I'd like to focus on PCs with these debts. They're, yeah, they're intended yeah. to give you connections to PCs, but I'm not going to... I'm, I want to encourage you to choose PCs for these, but I'm not going to restrict you to PCs. If there's something that you say, this is absolutely an NPC and doesn't really match either the PCs, then you can do that. Okay. Um... 
I don't know. I'm actually going to throw it out to um, Jill and Kyle. Do either of you feel like I would have given, like, you would have made a promise to me that you broke in some way? I don't understand what promises are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Someone broke an important promise to you. What is important to Seishin besides keeping her identity secret from her husband? Because if they break that promise, then you're mar- you just have to leave immediately yeah. and make yeah. a new character I'm, I'm before character creation. <laughs> Um, okay. I'm going to say that, um, and I'm, I've I've got one for a, uh, for a PC in my debts, but I'm going to make this someone else. Um, I'm going to say that I gave someone a very important, very important, because I'm a, because I'm a swordsmith, I gave them this very ancient, like, I had gotten this antique sword um and it was and i asked them to hold on to it for me and um some someone stole it from them and they owe, owe me two debts because they lost this thing that i entrusted them with keeping all right someone lost your sword yeah and yeah. this this was like a this was like a th- 300 year old sword this was really valuable who is this person um we are going to take your um bartender idea from earlier okay (laughs) and we are going to say that um let's call her uh Chloe alright uh, that's not how you spell Chloe. Chloe, the bartender, lost... Mm-hmm. Lost a, a Seishin sword. Yes. If you want Why to put it Why did you give at... your sword to a bartender? I trusted her. I was going out town for a few days, and I didn't want to keep it in my shop. Alright, is this a bartender also who is aware of the supernatural world in any way? I think so. I think that because um, my wild is so high, I don't really hang out in most mortal places except when I'm around Noah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I think this was in she's in some way connected to uh, the darker side of the city. Okay, but she's still like human. Yeah. Alright. Your second debt says, you are keeping something hidden for someone. They owe you a debt. Yes. And I I wanted to, if if it's okay, Kyle, what am I keeping for you? Um... Okay. So I would owe you a debt? Yes. Yeah. Alright. Um... All right, I'm trying. Sorry, I'm, it you kind of put me on the spot. I'm trying it's to think. That's okay. fine. Um, you're just mainly keeping ammunition for me. Okay. And they're keeping it hidden. 
So, yes. So the and fact that you have this ammunition needs to be kept secret? Yeah. Alright. Do you not have I a mean, gun license? Well, I do. I mean, the thing is, Bad like, job, I have, like, silver bullets in crap. It's not something right. you can just go walk into a Walmart, you know? Just, you know, probably okay. more in terms of illegal armaments. Illegal to own silver bullets. Yeah, well, pretty I sure mean, I've seen Ripley's museums that have silver. I mean, bullets. we if if we have, um, I, that was the first thing I can think of. He came up with know. something. Don't be yeah. sorry. I just want to make sure that it's thought through. I'm, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying let's have a reason for it. Okay, I mean, Kylization keeping is silver. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing as a hunter, you'd want to keep your um, gear well protected in a sense mm -hmm. and you know my apartment my shitty apartment might not be the best area you know to keep things I'd rather have them somewhere else well yeah and because I already kind of have a specialized shop with pretty valuable stuff in it, it makes sense that I would have an ammunitions cache if I ever had any mm -hmm. reason for people to question me on it yeah. Alright. So, your last debt is you entrusted someone with a dangerous task. Ask them if they succeeded or failed. If they succeeded, you owe them a debt. If they failed, they owe you two debts. Oh, I don't think Jill's been around long enough to do that. I mean, she woke up and wanted to help people. Hmm. Hello, world. How can I help? Okay. Um. Since since I'm looking for some way to anchor myself to the mortal world and specifically to uh, Noah, just in case something happens where he should find out, I'm going to say um, I asked you to see if you could um, in some way get me in touch with um, a... Well, a wizard. You can say whether or not it was Raul or not, but a wizard who may have information for how I could do that. Okay, sure. So since I have decent ties to wizards, I'm going to go ahead and say I succeeded in that task. Cool. Get her in touch with a wizard. Jill. So this is Raul, then? Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and say it's Raul. Alright, Seishin owes... Jill, one debt. Cool. And finally for you, we're going to talk about your moves and other special stuff. Yes. Um, so all fairies get the power to use fairy magic, which yeah. is whenever you use a fairy power, you get to ch you have to choose one way of fueling that power, either by marking corruption which is basically equivalent to stealing magic from your fey court without asking for it. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can owe your monarch a debt, which is uh, ha drawing energy from your monarch and um, in, in a more, you know, polite manner, as most fairies are supposed to do. Or you yeah. can suffer one harm. Uh, mm -hmm. And your fairy powers 
are you have three that you can choose. Mm-hmm. Which which three are you going with? I am going with Glamours, which you create illusions to fool the senses. Shape change, you can briefly change your shape into that of an animal. And Bedlam, touch a target to place them in a specific emotional state, your choice. Mark corruption to have that emotion directed towards a target of your choosing. All right. I believe there, yes, there is a fey note on Glamours. What does it say? Glamours don't last long, but they are extremely effective. A generous MC might allow you to mislead, distract, or trick someone with your Glamours as if you'd rolled a 10+. plus. So that will probably depend on the situation. Are yeah. you generous, though? We'll see. Ha ha ha. Am I? I think everyone knows the answer to that after playing I, the quiet I I have absolutely no idea, Jonah. Maybe you are generous. Um, oh, I never I never mentioned the Fey end move uh, when we were going over drama moves. There's there's three drama moves total. The corruption move, which is how you typically get corruption. The intimacy move, which is what happens when you are intimate in some way. And the end move, when you die or retire your character as a Fey, you choose any other character and bestow the favor of your court upon them. They can choose either to take fairy magic and two of your fairy powers, or to advance persuade an NPC. And advancing your basic moves basically means that when you roll a 12 or higher using that move, you get a added super effect. Uh, it's like the closest you get to rolling a critical hit in this game. Um, and you also, so going back to your moves, you get to choose two other basic fey moves. Oh, right, yes, sorry. I, I got distracted. Um, so the two that I chose for my moves is In Our Blood, when you trick someone, roll with heart instead of mind, and um, Scales of Justice, you may cash in a debt with someone to use a power from fairy magic, including powers not normally available to you, on them at no cost. All right. In That's the... Blood. That's that's a very important fame move to have. And scales of justice. Yeah, my other one was words of words yeah. are wind. I was thinking about doing that one as well, but I think I've chosen. This is wisely. this is why debts are important for fairies because then you can just use magic on people that you have debts on. Oh. Yeah. In the yeah. other game, I aim to use the debt. Once I find out that my one of the other PCs murdered one of my best friends, I intend to use the debt I have on him to kill him. <laughs> nice. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. Uh, is there anything else that I need to address for you? Uh, oh, both of the moves that you picked have notes. Uh, In Our Blood requires that you do more than mislead or distract your target. It has to be a trick. An intentional falsehood that captures their full attention. Yes. And for Scales of Justice, it can only be used if you have a debt on the target of your magic. Remember that you can cash in a debt with someone to transfer a debt they have on someone else to you, so getting debts on your chosen target shouldn't be too hard. Mark faction whenever you use this move as if you cashed in a debt. Mm-hmm. I did not know that before, that you mark faction whenever you use Scales of Justice. But alright, cool. Aaron, we're going to jump over to your vessel debts. 
Well, it would make sense that you mark faction when you do scales of justice, because you always mark faction whenever you use a debt anyway. Right? Is that... I don't think that's... Is that... When you cash in a debt on someone, I think that's a fact. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, okay. yes. No, yes. no. Yes. 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 Oh, God, yes. Um... So... Anyway, with your vessel debts, uh, so, someone convinced you to come to the city to help them with an ongoing problem. They owe you two debts. Sorry, you cut out. I think I'm having, like, when I have my push-to-talk thing down, I don't think I can hear it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Um... Your your first debt oh, is... Oh, no, I can hear you now. Okay. Okay. Your first debt is someone convinced you to come to the city to help them with an ongoing problem. They owe you two debts. So I was having trouble thinking of this one because uh, no one convinced me to come to the city. I was like, they, you, here. you don't You don't live in the city, Aaron. Like, you can be out in your house and someone comes knocking and like, hey, I need you to come into the city to help me with a thing. Okay, I see, I see. Hold on. Um... One moment. Don't do anything. What game's going bye-bye today? Eh, I'll, I'll just have to delete Divinity 2 again, because that's clearly too much to deal with. It, it didn't... that, that game Anyway, we have to continue. <laughs> uh, so, none of that recorded. I'm gonna kill myself after this ends. Uh, my extroversion acting is dying. So, Aaron, your first debt is someone convinced you to come to the city to help them with an ongoing problem. They owe you two debts. Hello? Ooh. Uh, I can only hear Andrew for some reason. Oh no, what has happened? Hello? Can Hello? you hear me? Yes. I can I can hear you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh so I asked if either Kyle or Sushin um have any any like machinery that's in their um day-to-day -day lives that they might need help with cuz that's since I myself am a machine. I am very good at helping with that. So I was thinking maybe um that would be something that that they would have asked me to help with. Mm. I mean, I have a car, but I don't know if I would... I... I can take this. I can take this one. I, um... I would probably have, like... I'm not sure who would be specifically called a lathe, but something to, um... sharpen my, uh, materials on. So, I... I think probably if that happened to... Just go kaput one day. We are. Is are we going to say that this is before or after I asked you to get me in touch with your wizard friends? Um, I'll probably say this was probably the first thing that we did together to know each other, and then afterwards, okay. you asked me. All right. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, you fixed my tools, and that's two debts, right? You have two more debts on me because of that. Right, so you owe me a total of three debts now, apparently. Mm -hmm. Alright. Oh, also, Jonah, on the uh, Roll20 character sheet, there's only places for 
debts that you owe on that people owe to you and not no you can go down like you oh, can you just can? do negative debts oh that's true <laughs> What's my okay. next debt, Jonah? Uh, your next debt is you injured someone in the process of fulfilling one of your instincts. Tell them what instinct you were serving. You owe them two debts. Okay, so we haven't talked about my instincts yet, so I will read what those are, and then I will... Where did I put my instinct? Okay, so my instincts are to serve the powerful, to labor in silence, to break, and to protect the valuable. Could you say the break one again? To break the defiant. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I would say of these, the most likely that I would um, be to hurt someone in fulfilling one of them would either be in breaking the defiant or in protecting the valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to say it was in protecting the valuable. Now I just have to figure out what would be valuable that I would be protecting. And I'm probably going to have this debt involve me with Kyle, since I already have the one with Sashin. So I'm going to say that I injured Kyle. Sorry, Kyle. Um, it just happens sometimes, you know? <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. I understand. Okay. Valuable thing. Um, I'm going to say that I was guarding since since I really don't know very many people in the in the city right now. Um, I was guarding a. A wizard hideout that was um, near where the Loch Ness monster is, and uh, Kyle was investigating in that area and got himself into trouble, and um, basically intruded into the area. And I attacked him um, in protecting the place. Owie, Kyle trespassed. Bum, bum. So Kyle, you owe Kyle two debts. Correct. Uh, so Kyle, you you, uh, you got all the debts that uh, have involved you on your sheet, also. So I owe um, Cassidy, and I owe, or does Jill owe me? Jill owes you. Okay, Jill so I owe one. Debts. I owe one, and. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to. The way debts work is that later on we'll talk about cashing in debts um, to get people to do certain things, but you have to remember what you got the debt for in the first place because you have to remind them of what they did to give you that debt. So Jill owes me one debt for attacking me. Two. She owes you two. Two. Two whole debts for that. Oof. Mm -hmm. Two whole debts, I hurt you. you I'm you so sorry. You must have really done a number on me. I was like, owie. All right.
And Aaron, for your last debts question, someone has a tie to your creator or their lineage and possesses knowledge about your origin they have refused to share. They owe you a debt. I think we all know what my answer to this one is going to be, that the person is Raul since they are related to Eidolon. Um, mm. So he obviously has some information about Eidolon. And uh, what what knowledge has he refused to share about your origin? Or is there something that you've asked him? Well, he hasn't shared it, so how would I know what it was? Well, how would you have a debt on him if you don't know that he's keeping something from you? There's something that you know he's keeping from you. Okay, okay, so that's what this is. Yes. Um... Uh, I asked him about uh, where the source of my power comes from, and he didn't give me a straight answer. So do What's... I go negative one for um, if I owe them the debt? Yes. Or do I not write? Okay. I mean, That's you fine. don't really have to write that down. You don't have to keep track of the debts that... <laughs> you owe other people because it's on them to remember what yeah, you owe them. Yeah, to be fair, I'd rather get away with it. That's the way that works, yeah. Yeah. And also, if you forget that you've repaid a debt, they can call on it again. They, they can totally call on it again, even though they should be deleting it from their character sheet. Um, and be like, hey, you still haven't paid me back for this. And you're like, I feel like no, I guess not. Um, so we get to talk about the Vessel now. One of these new archetypes in the Dark Worlds expansion. Um, so, the the first, the default move that the Vessel gets is called Only Flesh. When you come directly at a target, without concern for your own well-being, you get one armor. If you're doing so in the service of one of your instincts, you get two armor. If you're wearing armor, you use that instead. And then you get to choose two other moves. Yes, so I already chose which ones I wanted to do for this one. So um, I'm choosing, choosing the Machinist, and if you could read that, that'd be better so that I because my, my mic issues. Okay, so the uh, Machinist... When Jill communes with a machine, roll with spirit. On a 10+, ask two questions, and on a 7 to 9, ask one question. On a machine, the on, on a miss, the machine betrays her to her enemies in whatever way it can. What? <laughs> Alright. Um, okay. So, the questions that... Jill can ask machines are what secrets are hidden here, friend? Who made you this way, sister? What purpose do you serve, brother? Or how could I get you to blank, comrade? Um I am buddy 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 with This all is a of this them. is a this is a weird move. One, because of all of the like honorifics added to the questions. Yeah. Um and two, because it's just figure someone out, but for cars. I don't know. Um, Let me have my... <laughs> okay. 
you get another move. Let's figure someone out, but it's figure someone out with spirit instead of mind, so that's nice too. But it's um, not on people, the other move... it's on machines. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know. That's mm -hmm. also what makes it different. Um, and the other move I chose is Erase the Shem. Erase the Shem. And this move is, whenever Jill suffers enough harm to kill her, she can choose to shut down for the remainder of the scene instead of marking the harm. In this state, Jill suffers no additional harm, nor can anyone detect that she is still alive. She can perceive everything that takes place around her body, and can reawaken at will, and if someone dismembers or attempts to destroy her body, she'll knit herself back together upon revival, even if her body has to travel great distances to be reunited. It's like Terminator 2, my dudes. Okay. Uh, and what I had said when I was talking to Aaron was the Iron Giant. <laughs> Which I have You stay, I go. <laughs> just, just all these screws and bolts just screwing themselves back into place. Um, alright, so f for Aaron's materials, obviously she's the robot, but the specifically her choices were the bones and the flesh of the dead, a block of stone hewn to form, blessed soil, sand, or clay, or an empty shell found and filled. And she chose the empty shell. Yep. Um, and with that, once per session, she can heal up to two harm by consuming a copious quantity of the materials of which she was made. Anyone who witnesses the consumption sees her true form. Which could be like... It could be a number of things, uh, but neither Aaron or I think that it's, like, literally eating robot parts. It's, it's either, like, repairing herself with parts, or getting repairs with parts, or, or consuming, like, whatever her power source is. Um, we already went over your instincts. And whenever you would resist an opportunity to fulfill your instinct, it counts as keeping your cool. And if a redemption advance allows you to rewrite an instinct, cross it out and write a new instinct of your own choosing. And that's that's a um, that's the special thing about Vessel is that they can't mark corruption. Instead, they mark redemption, which is what we're going to look at right here. I'm already as corrupt as I can be, so the yeah. only other way to go is the other way. You're a robo-assassin by trade. Um, when you resist serving your instincts to attend to your mortal relationships or responsibilities, you mark redemption. That's your redemption move. Um, for your intimacy move, whenever you share a moment of intimacy, physical or emotional, I don't know what parts you were built with, um, with another person. Let's not talk about that. Hey, wizards. These questions are a little wiz personal. Wizards can make a lot of things. Uh, anyway, uh, when you experience a moment of physical intimacy or emotional intimacy with another person, you can ask them an invasive question about being human. And if they tell you the US version is better than the UK version, you get to murder them for free. Awesome. Um, no, if they answer the question honestly, you mark redemption. If, if it's subs or dubs, you can no. kill them. 
if it's they a answer reference the... to the actual show being human, which had a U.S. knockoff, but the U.K. one had Aiden Turner. And it was mm. uh, if they answer the question honestly, you mark redemption. If they deflect the inquiry or offer falsehoods, they must give you a debt. And if this is one of the cooler end moves. If Jill dies, changes playbooks, or retires her character, she leaves something of her own body behind containing a remnant of her instincts as a permanent mark on the city. She, uh, Aaron can then tell me which instinct becomes most, became most central to Jill's identity, and the city will take that instinct into itself and all NPCs can now use Let It Out to call upon the city to obey that instinct. All PCs, not NPCs. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I thought you said NPCs. I said any PC. Uh. Which I guess is confusing, yes. Um, but uh, there is... You don't mark corruption, but any time a move would tell you to mark corruption, you mark harm instead. Yeah, so if it's Which, like, like we'll, it could be a, like a let it are, out thing. Where like, there are lots of things. We'll figure out how that works. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, is then, there not a basic moves on the, on the... Hmm? What? Aaron? You still there? I cannot hear Aaron or Rebecca. Uh, you can hear me? Yep. I don't know what's doing that. I don't know. That's quite strange. I don't know why these two people have been isolated and say, no, you're not allowed to be heard by Jonah is this, anymore. Is this like the time I was almost killed by Teddy Roosevelt? Can you hear them? <laughs> Aaron has said in the Discord chat, because we're women, so obviously she can still hear me. Wow. Um, well, this is convenient because we just finished with them and we're on to Andrew now. Alright. <laughs> um, so Andrew... We're going back to Hunter, and we're going to look at your debts. Question one for you, Andrew. Someone has enlisted you to protect them from something very dangerous. They owe you a debt. Oh, now I can't hear Andrew anymore. Hey, computer, what? are you doing to me? I'm gonna stop the recording. Okay. Technical issues today having fun are with technology. real fun. I hate everything that's happening. I don't understand why it's happening. Doesn't make any sense for it to randomly cut out for either Discord okay. or well, Bandicam. I wasn't sure if you were talking about that or... I'm trying life. to find the Hunter page. There it is. All right. Okay. Your hunter debts. There we go. Yep. So, someone has enlisted you to protect them from something very dangerous. They owe you a debt. 
All right. Um, and I can make up my own characters for this specifically. You can. It is it is encouraged to try and get the PCs involved, but you don't have to be restrained to them. Okay. Um, I am going to choose uh, Elena Parrish, a police officer within the city. Um, she has fallen into ill favor of some vampires, and I have been protecting her from them. All right. It'd be easier for you to protect her from werewolves since we have those. Okay, werewolves then. Werewolves. Can we do werewolves instead? I have silver bullets. I forgot that that was. Silver, silver will also be effective against vampires. Okay, in that case, vampires are still fine. I have a holy weapon as well, so. Mm hmm. That should make sense. Alright, I forgot about my initial reasoning for this. Um, I just. I got suddenly self conscious. Alright. Alright. If you remember it, let us know. Um, now we're, we're good. Someone keeps you equipped and supplied with your with your bullets, I guess. You owe them I two would, debts. I honestly want to say it's it's still Cassidy or Justine, because um, I already have some there. No, they're so. weapon buddies. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Alright, oh so I, I now owe you three debts. You're really supplying me with all the goods that I could need. So I'm 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 severely in debt. Yeah. I'm severely in debt with Jill. We don't need to talk about this. Debts are great. By the way, debts are like the currency of this game, basically. Yeah. Um anything you want done in this game will will come around to you having a debt on someone who can get it done for you. Um all right, last one for Kyle is you consider someone a friend even though that friendship keeps bringing you trouble. They owe you a debt for sticking. I'm going to I'm going to have to say Jill on that. All right. What uh, what part of the friendship keeps bringing you trouble? Well, when I initially met her, she attacked me. And, <laughs> That's uh, right. I totally just blanked on that. <laughs> yeah. So um, after that, it sort of kind of spun off on that. I continuously run into strange scenarios where I end up getting hurt, whether to protect her. Um, or, you know, she gets me hurt somehow, so... So I owe you a debt for that? Yep. Yeah. You owe me an extra debt. You have another debt for attacking debt on another PC. So we, we, have a, we have a beautiful triangle of debts. You basically owe him a debt for not holding that attack against you. Alright. Um... Let's talk about the hunter uh, uh, drama moves before going to the hunter moves. Uh, okay. So, when a hunter injures a mortal while pursuing the supernatural, mark corruption, which is representative of, uh, you know, when a hunter turns to the dark side, it's you ceasing to care about why you're fighting in the first place. You just want the thing dead. You're, you've got vengeance or whatever, but you're not fighting for humanity anymore. Um, 
your intimacy move as a hunter is whenever Kyle shares a moment of intimacy, physical or emotional, with another person, ask them a question. They must answer it honestly. They will ask you a question in return. You can answer it honestly or mark corruption. Um, and the last, for the end move for the hunter, when you die or retire your character... Hold on. One second. One second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, game? Hunters can't retire. I guess corruption advance. Alright, that's fair. Hunters can't retire as a standard advance. They can only retire as a corruption advance. Alright. So when Kyle dies or retires, he chooses a character belonging to another player and gives them one of his hunter moves. It's theirs forever. Okay. So, on the subject of your hunter moves, what are they? Oh, and I put uh, all your debts in the move section, so one second while I move that. Okay, um, honestly, I was reading some of these, and I was like, oh, these are cool, and they give me a lot of different options. But, um, I think the initial three really spoke to me. Um, all right. Slayer, so, when you keep your cool while on a hunt, roll with blood instead of spirit, as in my spirit is already minus one, mm -hmm. and my blood is two. Pretty good. Um, deadly, when you inflict harm, increase the harm by one. I'm already hitting kind of hard with a couple weapons, so I might as well just up the ante. Okay. And then when this one I really like, um, when you encounter a supernatural creature, roll with mind on a hit. The MC will tell you a bit about it and how it can be killed on a 10 plus. Ask the MC a followed question and they will answer it honestly. On a miss, you misread the creature. The MC tells you how. Mm, I like this. I like this move. This is an interesting move that I like. I thought you'd like it. Um, I wanted to have one that was a little more. What did Kiko take? Kiko, I think, took this way. Which is when you lead people out of danger, roll with blood. On a 10+, plus, you all get away safely. On a 7 to 9, you get hurt. One of them gets hurt, you choose. And on a miss, yeah, everyone's safe, but you. Which is basically just, I'm going to roll escape a situation for all of us. Uh, Alright. I think that's all we need for this. It was a frustrating day. I hope a substantial amount of information ended up in the recording. Probably not. Um, if not, I will probably have a recap of all that information somewhere. Um, to everyone... To everyone listening to the podcast at home... Uh, there are two maps from the quiet year up there is the map up for the spring session and the map up for the end of the game entirely because i forgot to take snips for each of the other seasons because we did summer through winter all at once you can find those on twitter and you can search the hashtags the quiet year in fontaine and that will probably get you there um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I need to talk about before we close this episode. Um, like we could hey. do, huh? 
Oh, sorry. I was Go just going to ask a question, and you can move, take it out or leave it in or whatever you want to do. Um, but I just wanted to ask, do, do, does everyone else have to know what our archetype is, like, in-game? Um... I don't... Like, you never stated that somebody knows that you're a fairy. So that's a fair point to bring up. And, I don't know, did Erin ever bring up that anyone knows she's a robot? That's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Because she's got that skin, and if she's wearing... What is she wearing again? Uh, rough clothing, dirty clothing. I mean, yeah. she freaking attacked me, so if she has any kind of robotic attack... No, no, she has a sword. I attacked you with a sword. Okay. Uh, I would say probably Jill saw me talk... Not Jill, I'm Jill. I would say probably say Sheen saw me talk to her machines, and that probably... Okay. You know. So, I don't know, do for but fun. you guys would both know I'm a hunter. Machines cause... are nice, they're, they're what I understand. Yeah. Well, I mean, I supply you with stuff, you're doing yeah. something shady. Yeah. Kyle's, well, I mean, Kyle's I, pretty I was... obvious. Yeah. I'm well known to begin with. Um, but yeah. I, I guess there's no reason that they have to know immediately that you are a fae. Um, they at least know that I'm not hmm. of this world, because, like, my wildest two and my mortality is zero. So they... So I don't think I look or act quite human, and especially knowing what they know that there is such a thing as being not human, they probably think that, but I don't think they know exactly what I am. Right. Okay. Um, okay. I just so wanted I... to ask that before you stopped recording. Right. I was actually going to offer the idea that we could right now do the session intro moves. Um, primarily because I don't think we're going to do the session intro moves at the start of every session because they they take some time to do if you're not if if we're not in the right headspace for it right which at the start of a session we're not because it's the start yeah. um so I think I'm actually just going to do the session intro moves more as like story arc intro moves um, okay. at, at any start of a period of time we might do it. So we can we can do those now, recording permitting, or we can wait and do those later. I'd like to get home. Okay. That's fair. Go home, Aaron. Alright, so we'll see you all in the next episode where we will finally begin playing Urban Shadows if this is even an episode. Uh... Have fun with your week until then. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Good night, guys.